Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 062. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, have you ever had a moment of looking yourself in the mirror and not liking what you see? Perhaps you had a rough day and said something you didn't mean to. Maybe you only told your family a half-truth about something that was going on. Many of us face these moments at one point or another, but there is hope, even for those who know these moments all too well. So, who wants to find out how hard I throw a fastball? At 80 miles an hour, it might not feel like one. I am guessing I could stand right here, close my eyes, spin around, and throw this ball, and hit somebody who wants their life to matter. Maybe that looks different for different people. Maybe some people want a platform. They want a stage. Maybe some want to have a life that matters by teaching, by influencing people as they are young or older. Maybe some just want to be able to have something for their children or their grandchildren to pass on, to help make them better people. But I could do the same thing on the flip side. That if in the right context, I could close my eyes, spin around, throw this ball, and hit somebody who has it all together. Top of the world. Top of their game. They got all the money, all the success, all the accolades, all the headlines. Everything that this world says means success. People so many, so many idolize, so many want to be like. And yet, that something happens, I could hit that person that something shows that all they have is a house of cards. And one instance, one episode knocks all of it down. How in the world is it that somebody could be on top of the world and yet crumble so fast, so fall flat on their face so hard? How do we make sure that doesn't happen to us? That, my friends, is the question of the day. Let's pray. God, in the way only you can, through your Holy Spirit, transform us with your word today. Amen. Well, today's passage is one you would think somebody would want censored out of the Bible. If I were the author, I'd want this stuff hidden. If I were the second most influential Christian in human history, I certainly wouldn't want this stuff said of me. But then again, maybe that means I have something to work on too. Out of Paul's letter to the Romans, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, It is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. This is the word of our Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Here is a shocking fact. This Christian superhero, Paul, a man, I'm sure many, when you look at his writings, when you look at his life, or at least his after Christ life, many people would understandably want to, to have that strength of faith. But he did not always get it right. And the Bible even chronicles his missteps. In his before Christ days, he was, he was a Christian killer. He would salivate at the thought of being able to hunt down Christians, lock them up, and execute them. Not the kind of person you would expect God to use. But in a religious sense, in how well he knew the law, how well he practiced it, honestly, you would think this is the poster child of what God would use. In Philippians 3, he lays out his resume, and an excellent one at that. That he was top of his class in the Hebrew. He was a Jew of Jews, a zealot of zealots. Everything about religion he had right. Maybe you would think, look, if you just looked at that, maybe not even knowing his backstory, you might think, yeah, that's the reason God made, gave Paul so much influence in the world, in history. And I wouldn't fault you for that idea. Because honestly, I had a season where I believed that very thing too. Where I believed that I would need more and more schooling to make a difference, to be heard. That I would need seminary to get people to pay attention. I guarantee that anybody who comes here regularly does not come here regularly because they think I'm the smartest person in this room. And if you're relatively new, trust me, I'm not. Because, truth, I had to get a master's degree to figure out competency is not everything. Now, to be sure, there is value in knowing what you're doing. There is something good to developing your skills, to honing your craft, to sharpening your gifts, but it is your character, not your competency, that determines your capacity. Competency will get you in the door. Being smart will get you in the door, yes. But character will keep you there. Maybe you could see this if you've had a a job out in the, the secular world where you could be the smartest one in the room, but if people don't like you, you're not gonna go anywhere. You could be one who brings in all the big business deals, but if you're dishonest, that's gonna stop real fast. You could be the most brilliant innovator ever. But if you treat people like garbage, either they're going to leave or they're going to make you leave. One of the benefits, quirks, I guess, of what I did before I got into ministry was as an IT consultant, I worked at a lot of different kinds of places for different lengths of times, different sorts of projects. And so I got to see what a lot of different teams looked like and what a lot of different managers looked like, team leads looked like. You could definitely tell the scope of those, where there are some who may not know everything, but they have the character. And I wanted to work for them. And then you would have those on the opposite end that may know everything, may have it all figured out, but they're real jerks. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. So where is the didn't see it coming in this? Where is the thing that blindsides us? 
It's in the subtle art of selling your soul, of compromising character. I say this, is, this can be a dangerous thing because it does not happen the way the newspapers often show it. I could spin around blindfolded in a room full of the right kinds of people and hit some top-of-the-world person who you have seen fall flat on their face. Any executive, politician, even pastor, athlete, who has had that public fallout, we see the crack in their character bright as day. But I guarantee it didn't just happen in one shot. It is, as Casting Crowns calls it, a slow fade. It is what Carrie Newoff calls the subtle art of selling your soul, not the overt art. A thousand little compromises leave you compromised. So how do we take our souls off the market? How do we make sure that we aren't, even if we haven't sold them out, we aren't renting them a little bit to the devil? Well, a couple of signs. Because when we are aware of these things, all of a sudden they don't blindside us the same way. We can say, ah, I see it coming from a ways away. And I can do something before it gets to me. First sign, that there is a gap between your public and your private life. I'll use a real simple example to illustrate this idea. Let's say you're having some people over for dinner. Now, usually once somebody accepts an invitation to dinner, there's usually a next step that follows real quick, that we start cleaning the house, right? We get all the dirty laundry off the floor, sweep, maybe vacuum, maybe we even put out flowers or a candle, something to give a good impression. I get that. I've done that. I want to make a good impression with people. But the danger comes in when we try to make people believe that that's how it always is. Let me just state out for the record, which if you were to ever come over to our house and it looks clean, guarantee you it does not always look like that. (laughs) Getting on to my third point, I have an excuse. We have three kids and a dog and a cat who does not like each other. You got Tom and Jerry action going on. Does not always look as nice as it does whenever you come over but I'm glad you guys love us anyway. Thank God you love us anyway. Thank God. Your character determines your capacity, even when it comes to relationships. Maybe it get into a little more not-so-obvious example. Our words. What we say out in public versus what we say behind closed doors. Do they match up? Do they line up? Is it the same person? We might call that... Having character, we might call it having integrity. Same idea. Paul gets this disconnect in his life. He says, I want to do this, but I end up doing this. There's a disconnect. There's a gap. And I don't know how to close it. And he he deals with that struggle, but he's honest about it. He recognizes it. So, probably one of the easiest ways to respond to this sign is just to be cognizant of our words to make sure they aren't just hot air, that what we're saying we're actually living up to or we're actually, it's consistent with how we live, maybe even how we want to live. Speaking of, another sign, you fail to follow through. Unfortunately, this one can, be, can come across as kind of normal, and that's exactly what makes it so dangerous. 
When you commit to do something, when you say you're going to do something, when you say you're going to be somewhere, and something came up, becomes your life verse, and you bail. It doesn't show real sound character. It may seem like no big deal. It may seem everybody does it. Stuff comes up, and I get stuff comes up. But those small compromises, how we deal with it when that something comes up, the small compromises make bigger compromises a lot easier later on. So here's two ideas that I'll give you to deal with that when you see that sign coming your way. The first is to write everything into your calendar. And I say this because sometimes we actually need to schedule time for us. We don't often think, okay, I'm actually going to write in my calendar, I am going to exercise at, you know, from 9 to 10 o'clock. That I am actually going to spend time reading a book from 7 to 8 o'clock. But if we write these things down, then we're, first off, we're probably a little more likely to, to do them, to, to grow ourselves, because unfortunately nobody is going to help you grow this stuff. If, if anybody ever comments about our character, it's usually not in the most encouraging way. But then, if something comes up, and, and you're kind of on the fence about, is this a commitment that I want to make? You can look at your calendar and be honest about saying, that is a time that I have set aside for something else. Whether it's working or something. When I got out of seminary, one of the big things I learned, which I still always have, is writing in date nights. I think they still exist. But then we can say, honestly, I have a commitment. I'm not able to do X or Y or Z. The other thing that can help us to be more consistent about the commitments that we make and following through on them properly is if there's a commitment that we're just, for whatever reason, we're not willing to do, to say no. And I get that is really, really hard for a lot of people. I'm one of them. I know. But again, if you have stuff mapped out, it makes it a little bit easier. And if we just say no to some of those commitments when the occasion calls for it, it makes things a lot simpler because we don't end up stressing out about trying to keep it or bailing out after the fact. And it makes things actually more biblical. As Jesus himself says, the most influential person in Christianity, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. And here's a way that that plays out a little bit more. When you're willing to say no to something, your yes starts to mean a lot more. If you just say yes to everything, it loses all meaning. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. It improves your character. People will appreciate that character. And your character, again, determines your capacity. Last sign, and probably I'm going to call this advanced compromising, you justify bad decisions. All of a sudden you get to the point where you don't even have to make an excuse anymore. You don't even try to excuse those times when you've been inconsistent with yourself, when you've failed to keep a commitment. You just call it inevitable. It happens all the time. If you were in my shoes, you would have done it too. All of a sudden, what it does is it relieves you of all responsibility because you can blame everything else and now you all of a sudden have free reign to compromise all that you want. 
And that is why it is so dangerous. So how do we deal with it? Well, when we make a bad decision, when we fall flat on our face, on whatever skill, if it's, if it's our fault, take responsibility for it. Own it. You may think if you were to do this in front of a group, and I say this because a lot of these ideas are built or written towards leaders. You may think that if you were leading a group and you say, hey, look, you know what? I messed up. This is my fault. This is my bad. How did one of the presidents put it the buck stops here? Harry Truman. First off, again, it keeps things simple. And wordsmithing and verbal gymnastics and semantic gymnastics really make things a whole lot worse. Trying to twist it around, trying to justify, trying to rework the story so that you look like you're in a favorable light. You know, that's the fodder for the tabloids, if you will. But when we say, hey, look, I messed up. Most people that I've dealt with, especially on all those different kinds of teams that I've been on, different kinds of personalities and different environments, said, okay, you messed up. Let's fix it. And we move on. Rather than getting into a blame game and, and downward spiral and things just going south. I think that's one of the reasons God doesn't censor this passage out of the Bible. is because you have a person, Paul, who accepts responsibility for the way he was. For those failures that he struggles with. Whenever he was in his walk that he wrote this chapter. And there's all kinds of controversy about that, but you know what? He wrote it. It makes sense for every Christian. I'm not going to get into the scholarship behind it. But he has the character to own it, the character to wrestle with it. And because he has that character, it's, that's why God allows him to have so much influence. He has the influence. He has the capacity because he has the character. So where do we go with this idea? First off, Let's recognize this is not easy to, to work on. This is not necessarily fun to work on. Piece of cake to work on capacity, right? People will send you off to a seminar, will buy you a book, will recommend a podcast to increase your capacity, to increase your knowledge. Working on your character is a whole different story because, again, nobody will ask you to do it. And if it comes up, it's not in a good context. But really, your life, your life and mine, are one day going to be reduced to one sentence. And our character is going to define what that sentence is. Dad, he was a great artist. Can you pass the salsa? Maybe not right after God calls us home. Maybe not even a couple months after. But years down, that's going to be the kind of legacy we leave. Mom, she was a great hugger. So what's for dinner? Your character will determine what that sentence is. Your character determines your capacity. So this week, I'll give you a, a nice, easy baby step to work on, but one that can be still so effective for us. Concentrate on your words. What you say. Does the talk line up with the walk? Does the public match up with the private? For some, I, we could just stop there and we'd be busy for a long time, and that's okay, because we are all still works in progress. But that develops our character, and that in turn develops our capacity. And if that's a scary thought, and it may be, the good news is we don't do it alone. We have help. Wretched man that I am, Paul says, 
Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week on the Woodlane Worship Podcast.